Hi, everybody. This is Tracy, and I'm delighted you've joined me for this episode of Good Life Stories. I created this podcast because I believe we are all seeking connection, and what better way to do that than through story? So get ready. These stories are meant to suck you in. Welcome to Good Life Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Good Life Stories. This is your host, Tracy Crowley. And I am back with round two with Maya Soderholm. She and I had such a good time talking that we ended up with enough content to go with an episode number two. So this is starting from a point with uh, one of my favorite stories from Maya, which I refer to as her chick on the couch story. So literally chick on the couch. And uh, just all of our ranging discussion around that topic in general. I think you're going to love today's story. Welcome back. And thanks again to Maya for some extra time. I hope you enjoy my conversation with her as much as I did. Again, welcome to Good Life Stories. This is Tracy. So when you and I have talked a lot about with your martial arts training and especially with your experience training with Sunny and Pud, I love you know just the stories that you've shared with me about that experience and how so much about working with Sunny, at least from what you've talked to me about, you know, was was earning your right to be in the room. That you wouldn't just train anybody, but he wasn't in, I think, from what you've described in any way, an easy teacher in the sense of like an open, welcoming person to get to know kind of thing. He knew what he was doing, but you had to be able to be there. Like you couldn't just show up and kind of be lazy in his space. Well, Sonny was a very interesting human being. Uh, there's so many things I could talk about training with him, but yeah. I'm going to try and desist from some of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the story you and I were bouncing around was, was the one that I called the chick on the couch. Yeah. So one of the things about Sunny, all right, no, I, yeah. I'm just wondering where to start the story. Yeah. Because I've done martial arts for my whole life and things are changing slowly now, but it is a 90% male, 10% female kind of proposition, the martial yes. arts, especially the way that I grew up with them in that I was usually the only one or one of two women in any seminar space I ever went to. And so being allowed in, if you like, you, you know, you felt like you were the token person. On, no on matter some, what. Yeah, yeah, no matter what. In that, I mean, you're old enough to know it's the same in business. It's been the same in everything. It's like you're the only woman in the boardroom or you're the only woman in exactly. the office or whatever the deal is, right? Yeah. And so on some level, you are the vanguard. And so perhaps you innately carry some you know, some inner things about representing, about doing a good job. You know, you always have to do better than everybody else on some level just to sort right. of keep up. And so there's definitely that part of walking into a space like that. Honestly, I always wanted to do martial arts. I don't know really why, yeah. especially play with swords. Yeah. And it is one of the few fields of martial arts where size doesn't really matter the same way at all. And so the, the, the playing field is immediately leveled out, if, if that makes sense. Yes. So it's an interesting field. But one of the things about Sonny was at first I was denied access to him, which is another story which we won't necessarily yeah. talk about, but because they said he doesn't teach women, right. which, was a, which was a complete lie. Yeah. And again, there's reasons why the other person who said that thought that, but that wasn't actually true. Right. And so when I eventually did get access to him and start training with him, it wasn't that at all. But one of the things that he was very particular about was he didn't like to touch people that much. He wasn't like a grapply wrestly kind of guy. Right. He actually didn't want to wrestle with anybody, men or women, right. but they had understood it on some level. It was like, oh, he doesn't like to touch women. It's like, yeah, it's not that. He's no. just he, not he like to any kind of guy. Yeah. No, he was a paranoid motherfucker. Let's put it that yeah. way. Am I allowed to say that on your podcast? Yes, you podcast? are. <laughs> he didn't like anyone close to him, right? He didn't. Yeah. It just didn't for whatever reasons um, that it was. But he was also very clear-minded and clear-headed about sexism. 
And what would have possibly been offensive, you know, to some people, I thought was genius when it came from him. For instance, he would have my videos playing when other people would come to class because he's like, if the guys see you can do it, they're going to work harder. Right. Right. And of course, the implication is that everybody thinks women can't do stuff. So like, do you mean like you could absolutely take offense to that? But he, it's it's not like he wasn't right, you know. Exactly, it's he like, was right. He was right. Yes. It's like men underestimate women, and he. One of the, the the big gifts I got from him was that he was the first person to say, "Being us underestimated is a superpower. Let them underestimate you." Yeah, because then they yeah. will not be on their guard. It's like how how cool is that to have that said out loud to you? Ugh. It's like instead of like you don't have to play big dog with the big dogs everybody knows you're not as big as the biggest dog so don't pretend that but there's a game that you can play where it's like yes yes you're such a big dog you know you could <laughs> yes <laughs> you, you can use the fact that they think they can beat you without trying very hard to your advantage so if you look at it purely combatively so to get to your story which is a very long way around to get to it yeah. was that once my skills started to get a little better uh, I trained with him until he died in 2006 so i'm gonna say a few years in already i'd been training with him yeah. um, and most people trained with him on their own or in pairs or in very small groups out of his living room and after i've been training with him for a while um he'd start occasionally saying things like so there's this guy coming into town on saturday you know to to come you know check 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 me out and i'd be like oh okay yeah 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 and it would be somebody from another martial arts system or somebody who got access to him somehow or, or whatever. Right? right. I'd be like, Oh, well, that's nice. And then I, after a while I realized what he wanted me to say was, Oh, would you like me to come by? Like, do you, do, <laughs> do you need right. somebody to flow with this guy? Yeah. Who's come? And it's always guys. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, yes. it, just, it just is. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, you know, so, Oh, this guy's coming up. It's like, Oh, do, should I come by? You know, you need somebody to fly. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe you could come by. Okay. What time? And then he'd give me a time. So I was like, yeah. all right. So the first time it happened, it was really, it was the funniest. But, you know, after that, then I knew there was kind of like a, a hidden plan to it all. And so <laughs> I, he'd always stage manage it that I would turn up first. So I would be there. Um, and his living room basically had two couches along two walls. And then there was like a TV in a corner where he recorded video so you could watch the lesson playing. And all the walls were covered in weapons like the completely yeah. swords over all yeah. the walls. So there's very little floor space in the middle, so there's two sofas. So usually I'd be sitting on the sofa, on the couch, um, when the guy would turn up, right? And so the guy would turn up probably like half an hour after I'd been there or 15 minutes or something like that, Sonny would greet him. And he was a very, well, I mean, I've already said he was paranoid, but he was a yeah. very unassuming man. And so, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, nice to see, you know, come in, come in, come in. And he'd be like, blah, 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 and this is Maya, and the guy would come in and he'd be on his best behavior, right? Yes, maestro. And he'd be like, don't call me maestro. And he'd just kind of give me a cursory nod as I was like the chick on the couch. Right. <laughs> you know, like, okay, whatever. Somebody's visiting the, the maestro. Right. So, oh, no, no, just call me Sonny. So then they'd chit-chat and everything, and I'd just be sitting there. And eventually you say, okay, well, you know, let's move around a bit. Let's, let, let, let's uh, you know, see see what you got. Uh, you know? And always he'd say, he's like, don't kill me too quickly. Don't kill me too fast. Right. And then they'd start to move around. And of course, this guy is coming to create a good impression. Like that's that he, you know, he's coming to visit somebody that has a reputation. Yeah. That is very highly skilled. He's also got a reputation of being, you know, a bit of a badass. Yeah. So he's on his best behavior, wants to create a good impression. And obviously he's there to learn some stuff, right? Well, so he because really, you're he there, really he has an, he also he now also has an audience to start. Sure. I, I have to say that I never really saw them paying me any attention at all. Like there was no, but so even just the stuff. awareness that you were in the room. Perhaps, just that you perhaps. weren't alone. They weren't alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps I was sort of like an irritant to the system that they definitely didn't want to look bad, right? So let's start flowing and the way that the system is uh designed for the people that don't do martial arts it's quite unusual it's like a dance in a sense it's that the, both people are moving all the time and the teacher will kind of throw strikes into the action then it's your job to kind of defend yourself and then maybe you give something back a little bit like tennis it's a little bit yeah. like you know i'm gonna lob something to you and then you're gonna lob something back to me and we're just gonna play and rally 
right. try and get a rally going. So right. it's very similar like that. And so they'd, they'd move around, they'd you know, keep going for about 15 minutes or something. And Sonny was a, a, a smoker, a chain smoker. And so after you know, a little while, I oh, really need a cigarette. You know, here, Maya, why don't you play with, with Duke for, for a little bit? And so the guy would be, you know, respectful of the SES, and Sonny would go and light himself a cigarette. And he'd sit in the, in the at the French doors on the way out and be all like, "Okay, well, why don't you stop?" And so you know, just move around. So I try and mimic what they've been doing, right? Right. And the guy is now obviously being watched by Sonny, so he's also <laughs> on his best behaviour. And so then I'm sort of moving around and I'm doing what it is. And then Sonny would just kind of give me this kind of weird sidelong kind of wink, like look, and I'd be like, what's he doing? And he's like, you know, up, up, you know, he'd give me this look like kind of up, up the, up the ante a little bit. Up the tempo, up the, yeah, you know, give the, give this guy something, you know, just sort of make it a little bit harder for him. So I'd start doing that just to the extent where I was casually and I'd be tagging him and touching him and everything like that. And uh, the guy would have a reaction. And I thought, and this was what I realized later was that this was a complete setup from the beginning. Yeah. Sonny wanted it to be set up that I was a nobody because it was a girl on the couch. Yeah. And that then this guy would start getting beaten by a girl on the couch. Like he would start to look bad in front of Sonny because he couldn't. But be, well, and and like Sonny liked to play with by being beaten by a woman. Yeah, by being beaten by a woman, exactly. Because he wanted to see how the guy reacted. That was his gauge about whether he wanted to take this person on as a student or not. Yeah. I mean, he didn't do, do it to anybody local, but it's you know for people coming in from out of town, this was his his big test because it's it's a difficult predicament to be in. The yeah. guy could have launched off and like dominated by some other means perhaps like forced a win if you like yeah if he had wanted to so what does he do does he does he you know kind of escalate and win or does he how does he lose and and it made me realize that that is a huge tell about people and their character is how they lose oh yes (laughs) right yes and i was like that's genius He's forced this position into this guy where Sonny doesn't have, it's not dangerous for Sonny, right? right? He doesn't have to sort of exert dominance at all. But right. he can watch how this guy takes being mildly humiliated yep. and losing right. in front of somebody that that is important. That he was trying to impress. Yes. Yeah. So like the worst place for your ego possible. And, and yeah. I just was like, that is brilliant. Oh, that yeah. is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So again, this kind of thing where, you know, hugely sexist assumptions and stuff, but he's just using what is yeah, to get what he wants. Un- you're not undoing that. There's no way to change that dynamic. It will never go away. Right. Period. It and and I'm kind of glad it doesn't, it shouldn't on so many levels. You know, like the you know, on, on the very primal levels of how we work as humans, there are some good things built into that. You know, but it's also the oh, you know, <laughs> looking at looking at the genius of what Sonny did in that situation to evaluate yeah. like how would you I mean I when I think about martial arts and I think about all the all the bravado and all the ego and all the strange kind of culture that comes into that of everyone's specific art, you know, and how you can have a ranking and and how that impacts other people's response to you that also adding that layer of failure, like but failure in a very in a very private context, but also a very vulnerable context, you know, is it, it yeah, but like how yeah, how do you how do you how do you fail? You know, how do you lose? What is that? What do you how do you respond when you fail, especially if you're doing it publicly? Yeah. Do you get angry? Do you pretend like it doesn't matter? Or do you be like, oh really curious. How did you do that? That's great. You know, all those things are possible, right? Yeah, they're all. But you don't possible. know, but you don't know what's going to come out until you have that sensation, that emotion, right? That you've got to deal with, right? You know, and I think that's that when I think about that, and I think about you know, if in that kind of a situation, thinking about like you know, how would I respond, and like you know, whether or not there would be emotional or physical space to have any kind of 
kind of corrective time. Like if you could feel yourself going in a, in a specific direction, like if you're in an interaction like that, there's no way to maybe necessarily pause where you can just go, okay, I'm gonna take a breath. Like where you can kind of collect yourself. If you're in that and you don't know what the okay exit is, how that that's like the perfect storm of how do you you know really push someone because they don't they don't know the rule like it's not like you know what your practice would always last 15 minutes or that you would have go through certain sets and then you were finished like there was no end point that would be understood mutually at the beginning you know yeah no no and honestly i think i failed like i thought i sucked for almost all the time that I worked out there. I didn't, I don't think I actually got a handle on it until the last like year or so. I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, because yeah. all the time he would push you right to the edge of what you could, what you were capable of. And he's like, okay, you've got this far. And now you think your shit doesn't stink. Well, how about this? And he'd be like, Oh, oh I see. I know just nothing. annihilate you, you again. You know, <laughs> but you know, and that means that the, the, the training is very difficult it only really suits people that will go, I have no idea how he did this. I've got to learn. I, right. I couldn't see that coming. What was that? How right. did he do that? How did he do that? I have no right. idea how to get out of this. Help me. You know right. what I mean? Like to have that sort of expansive response to that is right. how you learn. But that I do fascination think. fascination with, whoa, yeah. what was that? <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that that's, um, I'm not sure, but I, I suspect that's an inbuilt trait that people have or they don't have. Yeah. That certain people are explorers yeah you know that not understanding something or not being able to do something drives them to have a look a bit more yeah and then you have other people that are just like well that sucks i didn't like that feeling so i'm just going to avoid that completely right i'm just not going to do that again ever yeah yeah you know i obviously not good at it and i don't feel good here this is this is not cool yeah you know? and i feel like there's so much that plays into it. you know it's like when i look at you know i'm I think it kind of goes along with with I get I get bored easily in the sense of once I've figured something out I want to know what's next. I don't want to just say I've learned it. You know, I'm like okay, well I've learned this, now what? You know, what's the thing that comes next or what's the next most challenging thing or how can I push myself in this next because to me I know we're never done. You know, yeah. there's always something to be learned. Yeah, and the way I think about it is that all truth has edges. Like, you know something, but it's about yeah. this big. Yeah. But what's over here? Lots of stuff that I don't even know I don't know. Exactly. Like, where does it? Where does my belief stop? You know, what's outside that? Yeah. yeah it's, true, it's true until here. This works until here, but then what? I don't know. Exactly. You know, you have to go find out, or maybe you don't, you know. Right. Martial yeah, arts is a very interesting world because of that. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. No, that's great. I want to hear. Please keep going because I, I love you. <laughs> because I only know, I really only know the martial arts world as an observer. You know, I've I've played in it, but I've never really trained. But, you know, Rob's done so much with martial arts. My brother did martial arts. Like, I've always found that world fascinating, but it was never something really compelling. Like, I'd probably rather go learn to dance than do martial arts. And I feel like there's a lot of similarities there. But like you've just so spent so much time in that community, and I feel like you have a unique sort of between your superpower of pattern recognition <laughs> and just like the the fascination. Like you know, you, you've you've managed to dive into a lot of those. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's a huge subject. I, I think martial arts is a very interesting field. Obviously, they're very very old. You know, the Greeks and the Egyptians both had martial arts, and I'm sure, you know, the African cultures had martial arts systems and stuff. Obviously, everybody was training warriors at some point. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an old, old thing for humans to do. Yeah. Um, but I do think that in modern day, mostly what we're learning, you're not going to go out and get on a battlefield and use. You're not necessarily. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Like the, the reality of why people did it has disappeared mostly. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely parts of the world where it's still really important, but the the reason why you're doing it is sort of gone. And so there is consequentially a lot of bullshit and yes, posturing <laughs> and meaningless conversations around martial arts. What's real? It's like, Right. Nothing's real or it's all real sometimes, maybe. I don't know. 
right? It's like, it's another one of those things where people are seeking certainty, but certainty has a parallel with fear, I think. And so I think what drew me to Sonny's martial arts was this idea of playing in uncertainty all the time. It's if you, you can become comfortable in uncertainty, that's where you're actually getting something out of the martial arts, not the certainty. And I do think that what makes it interesting for me outside of dance or any other movement practice, well, there's two things maybe, two big fields of inquiry that I have, is one, it is conflict. It's the ultimate interaction of two human beings Right. One of who says no to the other. Like one wants something and the other says, no, you can't have it. It's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. And on some level, that is every conversation, every interaction, everything that we do is confrontational to a certain extent. Right. I mean, not everything, but, but it, it comes up level, over and over is. and over. Yeah. On yes. some level, it always is. Yeah. And so how do you navigate that? And on some level, if you can practice it physically in the physical realm, especially if it's something that makes sense and has some sort of realism to it. Yeah. Your feedback loop of what works is real short. Yeah. It's like, you know, that worked or it didn't work. It's like, did you die? Yes. Okay, yes. that didn't work. <laughs> you right. know, so, so, so you understand people in a sense. It's like a great way to understand people because they bring their reality to the whole very quickly. Mm. Um, you know how in cop movies they always have to have a fight before the two cops become buddies, you know? Right. right. So now, now I kind of know you, Yeah. you know? And we've done this thing. I think there's sort of a deep truth in that. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you handle yourself in the ultimate conflict? Right. Well, and I think about that, that, you know, when, when I think about, you know, especially we we get up like a whole nother conversation on male versus female conflict and physicality and non-physicality or the mix of both, you know, that um, when I think about men and and when they when i see expressions or i know they have have physically interacted because they were upset you know whatever it was whether they'd call it a fight or not that is this really primal way of clearing the air that like guys can actually get in a fist fight and then literally like help the other guy up and go like are we good now and that's like that is the conversation yes it's not it is the conversation <laughs> it is the conversation <laughs> And and it literally is. It's like, who are you, and how do we stand with each other? It's like, do you have heart? Do you have sense? Right. Uh, do you right. have control of yourself? Right. All this and, stuff about yeah. the, you know, about kicking someone when they're down. You know, the di- fighting dirty, like all those ideas meld into that. And I find yeah. that so fascinating because women just do not do that. You know, I'm sure there are a few that are capable, but in the sense of that's not, you know, I mean, I feel like even ones who are, it's just not the the whole testosterone thing just isn't in us. And so it's just a different calculation, even if it were. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. I I wonder whether that's uh, inbuilt or not. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I do think there's something very innate about knowing that you're smaller, physically weaker. Yeah. that makes you behave in a different way. If yeah. I, I, I once had a girl in my uh, Bagua class that probably weighed about 95 pounds or 100 pounds, like tiny, tiny person. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. I was, oh, my goodness, I can just pick you up and move right. you around anywhere. Is this what it feels like to be big? Right. You know, just to have that disparity of size. I was like, I would walk through the world completely differently. Yes. <laughs> if I if I was differently shaped, <laughs> you know, right. if I was six foot four and up to 20, you know what I mean? Like I, I would, I, my whole life would be different. Right. You know, and, and I've had these conversations with Rob before when we talk about, you know, male and female, just our physical capabilities, just like what are we able to do in what you're talking about? Like the moving heavy things like just the literally like there are things that rob can do that my body unless i like train crazy amounts and even if i did my body is just not capable of that thing you know like i look at stuff where they're like oh you know we're gonna put a a female in the place of a guy and i'm just thinking so i would like to have a conversation with you about just how far you think i can carry my husband on my back yeah i mean there's definitely certain limitations where where (laughs) you can't strategize around it only being you. Right. I remember distinctly 
ferrying three pallets worth of concrete in 60 pound bags with a few friends across the hillside to build a generator house. Right. And the bags say on them, now much lighter, 60 pounds. Now only 60 pounds. Because I think the old ones were 90 or something. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) That would make a big difference. I could carry them totally fine. But I had a real problem getting them from the ground onto my shoulder. If somebody put them on my shoulder, I could carry them all the time. Yeah. So I think we have to be careful in women can achieve the same goals as men. There just has to be maybe more of us or we have to have mechanical advantage or I need more time. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. But I I can, I can ferry three pallets of concrete across the hill. Yeah. If it was, if it's all up at this height where I could just get my shoulder underneath and walk it. Exactly. Right. Or if you'd made the, 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 the sacks 40 pounds each, I could totally do it. I just make more trips. Right. You know? Yeah. So, so I think that, there is a very distinct one-on-one disadvantage that a woman and a man facing each other have. Yes. Yeah. In a one-on-one. Yeah. But I think as far as bigger things, like, yeah, of course you, you, you carry your husband would be a very different proposition than him carrying you. Yeah. Sure. It just, yeah. Just one of those, like when people talk about like, you know, if they were, you know, like cyber, my yeah, I, I, odd conversations with people all the time, but um, you know, thinking about like, like a fire in my house, if Rob, had succumbed to, you know, smoke inhalation. Like right. I'd be dragging him. You I mean I couldn't yeah. carry, but I'm not gonna I can't safely carry him down the stairs. You know, so like just things like that that like I I talk to other women like, have you ever thought about like how you could you do that? You know, because I have a couple of friends who like the weight disparity between them and their spouse is so large that like I don't know if they physically could get the even if they were just dragging them. I don't know if they could drag them or if they understand enough about physics to figure out how to get them to move you know we've got we've got a skateboard in the bedroom i'm going to roll him onto that and drag See, him. there you go yep yeah and we've got hardwood <laughs> floors so i'm like i can always throw you on a slippery blanket and there go, you go. You know? <laughs> See, you've thought about it so that, you like know those, those ways yeah but those things that like it would ne- like rob never but like you were talking about moving through the world differently like rob doesn't have to do that math no thinking about those kind of very, what feel like very basic, even if they're a crisis situation, like it just, it's not something that would be a problem. And so it's, it's fascinating to think about that. And especially in the martial arts world, you know, there's just so much in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've written a couple of books. One of them really talks about that. There's this constant thing about can, can women fight men and are women as good as men and various things like, yeah, yeah, women can totally beat men. But what I talk about in one of the books, particularly is but women can't take as much damage as men can if i am bigger have bigger muscles and maybe a bit more weight on me i can get hit in different places and still keep going right in a way that women cannot yeah like that just don't they're they're lighter boned yeah we just don't have the same mass. level of pr- protection yeah. no we don't have the same level of protection so one of the interesting tactical conundrums i think and perhaps that's why i'm very interested in martial arts is yes i can beat this person but i got one shot and i can't take any damage until i can get that one shot in it's like i know how to damage somebody else but i need to survive long enough to be able to do that damage and i don't have many options so that's the calculation like much higher risk right but to be able to focus and be able to to, to do that one thing that, that that's the key. Yeah. And and I think that that's, you know, you, you make me think of Rory thinking about that, about analyzing, you know, stuff like that, that when you, when people talk about analyzing risk in an interaction, like, what are you, what are you calculating for? And like, for you, I, I love that your, your quote was about, about dying, that there is, there is no art in killing. It's easy, especially if you don't care if you die. There is no art in dying that you don't that you do not even have to practice at all. The art is in the living, in getting away and being unharmed. And, and I think that's been some of the most fascinating stuff that you've shared, especially playing with live blade stuff. Like you just people don't think about the calculus that has to go into every movement if you're actually playing with someone who can cut you. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like if they just if they happen to slice open your arm, guess what? that arm is not doing much, you know, just that we don't think about those calculations. 
I don't think we think very much about injury and context at all, actually. I think right. everybody sees themselves as winning all the time. Right. You know, they, they're like, oh, I, I, you know, if I worry about staying alive, I'm in a defensive mindset and I can't win. And I'm like, yes, you know, okay. But one of the <laughs> things I think about is that you don't want to just throw yourself at this threat either because, okay, so you've got to protect your family and you've got to protect them against this threat, say, right? right? right. So if he kills you first, then what? Right. You know I mean, like, then, then you can't protect your family anymore. So it does matter. Right. Yeah, you like know. one of my friends when uh, when uh, Rob was uh, in the military, I remember we were sitting over, you know, having you know wine or coffee at somebody's house one night, and one of the women brought up the idea of like, you know, well, what do you do if someone breaks into your house while your husband's gone? So like, you home with two little kids, then what? You know, and like a couple of the women are like, well, we've got a shot gun by the front door, and like, oh, they've got all these ideas, and my friend Carrie just goes, I'm going out the back window. You know, they're like, if they're motivated enough to break into my house, I don't want to meet them. And that was like the first time I'd ever really heard someone kind of approach it from what you just said. Like, well, if you interact with them and you're dead, guess who's next? Your kids. So maybe don't put you in that spot. You know, <laughs> I was just like, dude, like leaving. That's like the best idea ever. You can have all my stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I do think it's, the mindset is so fascinating too. And again, if you can't take a lot of damage, if you are, you know, you do value your life, maybe avoiding fighting in the first place is actually the best thing. So how do you do that? So now you look to recognize threat yeah. and you, and you try and take steps so that it doesn't even happen in the first place. Like you're not there or you change their mind somehow. Yes. You know, so that's all the the thing. It's interesting that the physical has kind of like wound me back in time to understanding people. Yeah. We, you know, I talked about how conflict you can really tell somebody's personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, actually, reading people, it, ha it has been the underlying most interesting part of martial arts. Yeah, because it's all you know. Like I said, it's like you can't have a martial art without an enemy. So there right. has to be another human being there. Right. So what really you're doing is fighting the human being. So who are they? Yeah. Can can yeah. you read what their intent is? How far away can you do that? How far away can you influence what they think? Yes. And then that then ties over into all sorts of other life lessons about how to make friends and influence people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the same thing. Yeah. But, you know, and I just feel like within, within that martial arts, even just you're bringing up the context of like how far away can you be and change someone's response to you? Like just yeah. when I, th I just think about that in that, in that everyday context, which, you know, we've done a bunch of times with the boys of just people watching, Yeah, you know, and like how, how much you can change someone's response to you just by smiling at them. Oh, sure. Smiling I mean, is great. Yeah. You know, or by deliberately avoiding looking at like, if there's someone who you sense is uncomfortable, make you uncomfortable that you might actually behave you know, in a more closed, like you want them to not see you versus see you, you know, those little nuances. And I just feel like you have such a fun range to play with that with martial arts, you know? Yeah. Being seen and not being seen are both really, really great skills. And you can yeah. practice them every day when you're out and about, Right. you right. know, how do you take up a lot of space and how, how do you just disappear into the background? I mean, yeah. the two skills. Oh, and yeah. I think, I think, We've had them, animals have them, so we have them. It's just we've sort of forgotten that we have that much influence. And again, that if somebody has decided to look at you or consider you to do something yeah. or, you know, for whatever reason, they have decided to start up a relationship, so now there's a relationship. You might not be able to change them, but you can change the relationship between you and them. Yeah. You know, so what do you have to do to change their mind? you know, change the relationship and say, it's not like what you thought it was, you know, yeah. maybe avoid that. Like you said, sometimes if somebody's all grumpy and you smile at them, they're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, they were just yeah, lost. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I do think that we, you were talking a little bit about COVID and how we lost our sense of interaction or being with people or yeah, social stuff. 
And I think we forget how social we are as animals and how much yeah. nonverbal communication there is yeah. in the world. And how those that, little that interactions. In. I just yeah. listened to a show the other day that was talking about um, they had done a study on strong versus weak relationships and their their correlation of that was like you know mike your husband is a strong relationship but like the person at the coffee shop you see every day is a weak relationship and they were saying you know one of the things that we saw in covid is that all of our weak relationships went away because we just didn't see them anymore Mm -hmm. and that's why so many people were kind of doing odd things like you know it maybe they didn't go to the park every day but now they're going to the park every day just so they can see other people that like that having those little micro interactions is something that keeps us happy as humans like we're not meant really to live alone we're meant to live in groups and you know when we're isolated for long periods of time it's not good for us yeah apparently not well i mean my my personal funny story about that was we went out to eat last summer for my birthday we yeah. hadn't been out to a restaurant for a while right and it was weird I was like, this is a strange thing. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah. how, how, how do we do this thing? How do we this, do this again? This restaurant thing. It's like we're going somewhere to sit at a table in front of other people and they will bring us things that we will eat. Okay. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> yes. it, it felt performative. It felt very yeah. not natural. Very strange. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah. It felt very weird. It felt like I was wearing drag or something, you know. Exactly. So. It's like just okay. I'm not doing this, but yeah. <laughs> How does this work? Right, exactly. right, yes. Exactly. So I think before we finish, I would love to talk, because you were talking about shining a spotlight on something. And, you know, you brought up, like, I think one of my absolute favorite topics, which is our unhealthy relationship with death. But even more so, I love that you went more narrow and how aging pushes you away from risk and chance. And that's not necessarily healthy. Because I see that all the time. And I, I find it fascinating, you know? Yeah, I, I do think it does. I don't think, um, and I don't know whether this came from Western culture. I actually forgot about the second thing that I found super fascinating about martial arts with Sunny was the other thing that really, this will tie in, promise. Yeah. No, you're good. <laughs> was I thought how he moved and what he was doing was incredibly beautiful. Mm. That's what attracted me to it. I was like, I want to do that. That is incredibly beautiful. And then it struck me that that was kind of weird, seeing as what he's doing is is basically learning and teaching how to kill somebody with a sword. Because right. let's face it, as Rory would say, martial arts is the creation of cripples and corpses. However honorable you want to kind of stick on right, top of that. Right, that's what it is. <laughs> ultimately, that's what it is. And why can that look so beautiful? Right. So it got me thinking about this this sort of, you know, life and death, I guess, and death in some sort of ways. But also in a sense where you're doing something physical, physically not dangerous because you're training, but you're learning something lethal where every decision you make is life and death. Right. You know, so how do you make those decisions and how do you get rid of that fear of death but still preservation of life, I'm not sure, Right, you know, to, to, to do the right thing. It's like, how do you lose that? And I do think that most spiritual, spiritual traditions are thinking about the same things because we do have these finite lives. But I think the West has lost its acceptance that death is a part of our time here completely. Yes. And yeah. we have no rudders to hold on to at no. all about how to do that and be okay with it we're obsessed with youth and you know living forever and never dying you know you just look at the medical procedures that they'll do on people to give them an extra week and you just say well, why yeah. you know wasn't there a study on doctors they, 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 they did uh, they did a study with doctors where they asked them that if they were incapable of answering you know like these advanced directive kind of things yeah you know what what, what would you want on your advanced directive and they're just like just painkillers i don't want to be resuscitated i don't want anything yeah and that was like the majority, vast majority. And you're yeah. just like, why is it that they're all the people that know are going in that direction? And all the people that don't know, like, keep me alive forever. You know, there's this very, there's this huge amount of fear. You know, we were talking about fear. Yeah. That wants certainty. Right. And how nobody really knows what happens or everybody knows that you got to die, but that not, not what happens afterwards. And this terrible fear around that, that we're just like pretending not to look at it. Right. It's like so unhealthy. 
Yeah. And that means that I think as you age, you take less risks, you don't go out, you try and preserve, preserve, preserve. Right. Because you're, there's no, how do you do this aging thing? You know, how, right. You know, I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to, you know. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. It's, it's not a very coherent thought, but there's all sorts of pieces in there that, that I've been thinking about, I guess. Well, and it's a lot of the stuff I've been thinking about. So it, I've, I read a book in the last couple of years that was talking about, you know, making, if you want to make a change that, you know, like if, let, let's say, you know, silly example, I want to grow my hair out till, till it, so it's down to my butt. Well, I can't make that happen faster. But, you know, like one of the decisions I could make is I would get my hair cut less often, you know, so like it's a micro decision. It's not like I just get to decide I'm going to make that change. And so like you've done this a million times with martial arts when you're trying to learn something, it's okay to improve by 1%. And I see, especially now in the work I'm doing, I see so many people start to make these decisions of retreat and they're doing it 1% at a time. They're, you know, my knees are a little bit sore, so I'm not going to walk as far. Or I don't want to go on that really long hike because my knees might hurt later. Oh, now I don't go on those long hikes anymore. You know, two years later, oh, I don't really hike anymore. I only walk on, you know, flat trails. Like it becomes this progression that feeds on itself of less and less either activity or interaction or stretching, you know, and like for me, like, I'm always looking for stuff that I'd like, I want to be failing. I want to fail some, I want to fail at something. I want to try it and do it wrong. I want to get better, but also focusing on that activity side. Like I still have that rub though. Like you were talking about, like, I really want to do stuff, but I also understand now that if I get injured, it takes longer to heal, you know? And so it's that, that calculus of still taking the risk, but, you know, being, whether it's more calculated about it, you know, but it's that trying to figure out like how to not fall into that trap of stopping doing things because I'm getting older, because the people I see who are living really beautiful, full lives in my life aren't doing that. Or at least they're not doing that on the same scale that other people do. It seems to start when people are in their forties is like when people start, you know, cause if they've made a whole bunch of bad health decisions over the last, between their 20s and their 40s, that's when they start to catch up to them, whether it's weight, whether it's inactivity, whether it was you know, maybe doing too many break falls in martial arts, you know, all the all the things that kind of accumulate. And then they kind of start, I feel like they get this feedback loop of, you know, if you stop doing it and you don't hurt so much, that's a good thing, you know, versus the, oh, maybe I do need to actually stretch and start doing yoga so that I'm not tight all the time. You know, those, there's sort of, there, I feel like there's always a pivot and I feel like a lot of people miss the pivot because it's hard. So what's your advice there? <laughs> Have you figured it out? <laughs> and I think it's mostly just being aware, like thinking about like, hey, if you are saying no to something that you used to do, why? Really paying attention to, am I saying no to this because of something that I'm ignoring? Is this because of something I've allowed to accumulate? And, you know, because sometimes it's not something you can change, but it's the, could you add something different that still gives you the same joy or still gives you the same excitement, you know, that uh, figuring out those challenges? Yeah, I, I, I have two opposing thoughts the one thought is all life paths are completely valid and you should be able to choose exactly what you want to do if you want to sit on the couch and you know yeah. do the thing that's totally fine you know i don't have a problem with that um but the other part of it is i'm annoyed that my imagination isn't big enough this whole life thing is real short it and is. the planet is fascinating and there's all this stuff that i don't know and so on some level it's annoying that i can't you know, find out more about it and kind of just yeah. participate more, yes. you know. Uh, so those two things kind of go hand in hand. I do think um, Liu Ming, who was, uh, I won't say he was an official teacher of mine, but he was definitely a mentor and semi-teacher of mine. He was a uh, uh, a teacher here in, in Oakland. He yeah. was, he, he taught a few different strands of um Taoism and some Buddhism and stuff like that. He was a really fascinating guy. He's dead now. But he said that he had an idea about fate. Yeah. And he said that fate is where appetite meets opportunity. Mm, I love that. And I, 
And I think about the appetite part, because I think that is a really fascinating way of looking at things. So for instance, do you still have an appetite for it? Mm. Yes. You know, I don't know. You know, <laughs> so it's like your appetites do wane, you know, yeah. to a certain extent. But I think the difficult part, which I think I hear you thinking about, because it's definitely what I think about is how can you tell if your appetite's just waned or you're just being a lazy fucker? Exactly. How, how do you know the difference? <laughs> right. If you've right. just lost your sense of your, your sense of wonder and imagination and you're going to be really regretful. Right. Or, you know, are you just transitioning into something else and just being and like looking at stars and being fine with it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not sure. I, well, and, you know, and I think that's been, been some of the things of, of real, like for me, like I, I would like to get better at playing piano, but I realize that I only have so much appetite for it because yeah. I don't sit down and do it. Like it's yeah. that actual recognition of, I, I tell myself I want that, but am I actually doing it? Because the things that I'm actually doing are the things I love because they're the things that I won't put off. They're the things I won't ignore. And that's interesting to me. I think part of it is situation. I yeah. bet that if you spent a semester at music college or just surrounded by musicians, oh, yes. surrounded, you would play the piano all the time. Yes. You know, because you're surrounded by everybody thinking about a subject, right? And because uh, I thought that too, I because one uh, I, I uh, one of my regrets is that I didn't go to art school um, yeah. or art college because you know I, I I think I would have really enjoyed it. And one of the reasons why I didn't go was because I didn't obviously want it enough. Yeah, and I never saw myself wanting to starve in a garret in Paris. Right. to be an artist do you know what I mean like I just I just wasn't driven enough and I, well obviously you're not destined to be an artist because you're not driven but I do think it's an easy excuse not to do something oh it is it is yeah you know but like but again it's like the opportunity isn't there for you so for you maybe it's actually the opportunity that isn't right. there so you're fated not to do your appetite for, exactly. for learning the piano yeah. because the opportunity is there yeah. so there's two things kind of have to come together and yeah. it's almost that you know do you fight that you know do you just kind of go along with that and you know pick the things that come your way or how much do you yeah. seek I don't know it's a very interesting yeah it's one of balance. those good, good thorny questions you know yeah but uh, but I do think that it's I think uh pretending that death doesn't exist is a real problem because I think yeah. that also makes us yes. ignore the fact that time's passing and this is precious and yeah you know and like I think you know, for me, I, I I met you just shortly after my brother died, um, right? And I that experience changed me so significantly because I have I try to spend as much time as I can making sure that absolutely every single day my feet hit the ground, I'm happy with how I spent my day. You know, even if you know there may, may not be something I can control, but that at least I can look back and say, "Yep, I wouldn't have done it differently." And I think because of that, like I have less concern, like I still don't want to die. Um, but, you know, I have very strong feelings about like what you were talking about, like how, like, you know, the, if I was to receive a really awful diagnosis last week, you know, I would be spending a lot of time, you know, sitting with that fear of dying, but then also really evaluating, do I want to put myself through what the options are to keep myself here six months longer? Yeah, for you sure. Know? what are you know is there a is there a 50 percent solution that i would prefer you know I, I feel like a lot of people and i because i have never faced that i don't genuinely know how i'll do but in the sense of i feel like there's so, and i just listened to a really good show the other day that was talking about the american or western idea of sort of like fighting death that there's like this you must that like of course as soon as you receive the diagnosis that the choice is fighting and i just think you know not always. And, and I feel like there isn't a good space for that, for people to say, I'm good. Like, I don't like this, but I don't want to do that. You know, right. that, that the, like, okay, this sucks that I'm going to die, but like, I don't want to make myself pukey and miserable for the next nine months so I can die in pain then. I'd, yeah, exactly. I'd rather just tear it <laughs> off and go not like, you know, just the I would, you know, in so many ways that that I I feel like we need a space for that in between discussion. 
I, of, I, I do too. I, I really do. Yeah. Cause I just feel so many, I see so many people. I literally like right now I have seven people in my sphere who are, have like just received big diagnoses like this. And it's absolutely fascinating to see just what all is going on and, and, you know, doing my best to not throw this out there when they're not ready for it. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got to do our own path. It's just a real shame. Yeah. I lost three people during COVID, none of them from COVID and none of them old. They're all about my age. Yeah. You know, you know, and everybody did it differently. Right. Right. You know, but like there's, you know, just the talking to a lot of people and, you know, seeing people who receive a terminal diagnosis and, you know, helping people understand, because I feel like there's so much of the, the, the hero idea, like we have to be valiant and you can't, you know, that like, there's something wrong with, with accepting it. Yeah. That seems weird. And, and I think, you know, I feel like, you know, a hundred years from now, we're going to look at what we did for some of these diseases and look at it like, like we did bleeding people, you know, like it just, it will look so foreign and, and barbaric. Yeah. I saw torture. I mean, it's crazy. I, you know, Lu Ming, the guy that I just mentioned, um, he died, he got a, a diagnosis for, I can't remember what kind of cancer he had, but anyway, uh, he, he refused treatment. He's, he's like, I just want to finish my book. So give me enough painkillers until I'm done. And he was the only person I've ever met that actively was looking forward to it, actively looking forward to it, not just accepting it, but actively looking forward to it. And I asked him and I said, uh, you're the only person I know who's yeah, actually you active. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? He's like, well, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's like, I'm looking forward to be dead. And I'm like, why is that? He says, all my teachers are already there. And I was just like, that's so sweet. That's beautiful. They're already doing the next phase and I want to meet them. Like they've gone from here and I, I don't have them here. So they're already there. So I'm going there. So that'd be nice. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was unaffected. It wasn't, you know, no, that was his genuine feeling. That yeah. was his genuine feeling. And he said, you know, people shouldn't be upset when I go. This is cool. You know, I'm going to go off to the right. next thing. You know, this yeah. is, it's ridiculous to think that everything's permanent. You know, everything changes to everything else. Right. Right. You know, it's like everything that you build, you know, will turn into something else. Yes. <laughs> you know? Everything. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at goodlifestories.com for more show notes and additional episodes. Please subscribe and consider rating and reviewing the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help others connect to us. Who do you know with a good life story? I would love to hear from you. Good Life Stories, creating connection one story at a time.